You're listening to Practical Ethics Bites with me, Nigel Warburton. And me, David Edmonds. Practical Ethics Bites is made in association with Oxford's Uhero Centre for Practical Ethics. Should we allow parents to choose the sex of their offspring? Many people will recoil at the idea. But Julian Savulescu argues that few of their objections can survive logical scrutiny. Julian Savulescu, welcome to Practical Ethics Bites. Thanks, Nigel. We're going to focus on sex selection. Can we just start by saying what sex selection is? Sex selection is employing some method of ensuring you either have a boy or a girl as your next child. And there are basically four ways that you can do this. Probably the commonest around the world is infanticide. People in some parts of the world will kill a male or female baby in order to be able to have the next child of the right sex. Abortion through testing of the fetus is probably the second most common. And in rich societies, you can test embryos during in vitro fertilisation and very accurately select a male or female embryo. And one other way which was popular for a period of time and theoretically is very reliable is selecting the sperm that carries the male or female chromosome. So sperm sorting is a way that doesn't involve the destruction of either embryos, fetuses or, or infants. Why would anybody want to sex select? There are a lot of reasons why people around the world do this. For example, people want to have a mixture of sexes in the family. That's the commonest reason in the West. But in different religious and cultural traditions, there are very strong reasons to select males. So, for example, in Hinduism, it's only men who have had sons who can go on to the next life. In fact, only sons can perform the funeral rites that enable somebody to pass on into the next life. In addition, in India, you have to provide a dowry for a daughter, which can be up to 500,000 rupees. So basically, boys mean richness and eternal life, and having a daughter means poverty and eternal nothingness. In China, it's a part of the cultural tradition, mainly based on Confucianism, that boys, males, have to look after the parents and the family. So in both of these cases, there are very good reasons given the cultural pressures to select boys. So, for example, in one area of India, Rajasthan, the sex ratio is 1.6, which means that there's 16 boys to every 10 girls. Now, you gave us four methods of sex selection. Three of them involved destroying after conception. You have the in vitro case where you have a fertilised egg and then you discard the ones which aren't the sex that you want. You have a straightforward abortion when you've somehow determined the sex of the embryo in the womb. And you have infanticide, which is a kind of murder of the child once the child has come out of the womb and been born. For people who've got a prohibition on murder, that's very straightforward. Infanticide's ruled out. For those who think that all abortion is wrong, there might be some grounds for avoiding sex selection using those methods. But what about with the case with sperm selection? Because that's happening before the egg and the sperm have met. Yes, you're exactly right that three of these methods involve killing of human beings at different stages of development. Infanticide is almost universally condemned. Abortion is condemned by many religions. And destroying embryos is condemned again by many religions. So each of them raises issues at what point does it become wrong to kill an early human life. 
But the issue of sperm sorting doesn't involve killing any kind of life. Every ejaculate produces millions of sperm virtually every day. Many millions of sperm die, and this is not seen as any moral issue. So selecting one sperm rather than another is one way of dealing with the issue of sex selection without dealing with the complicated issue of when it's wrong to kill a human being. So does that mean that you don't see anything wrong with sex selection when it's done by this method? I can think of lots of things that could be wrong with sex selection. The issue I think that is most important is should it be illegal? What should the law be? And I think that in order to, as the law is in the United Kingdom and nearly all of Europe and Australia and large parts of the world, it's illegal to use any method to select the sex of a child using assisted reproductive technology. You've got to ask, why is it illegal? And in my view, the only place for laws are to prevent harm to others or injustice. So in order to say that the laws that we have are justified, you have to show that somebody is harmed by this practice. Now, when it comes to selecting a sperm, you're not harming in, in the sense of killing an embryo or a fetus. But then you've got to say, well, why should this be illegal? Why should this way of producing our children or having children or creating our families be illegal? But surely there could be a social harm in the sense that there's an imbalance between the sexes. Yeah, that could be a very significant social harm. So in many parts of Asia, the sex ratio is 1.2, which means six, six males to five females. Now, how harmful that is, is a sociological question. It could be that it's not that harmful at all. In fact, there's a natural sex ratio imbalance. But let's assume it is very harmful. Let's assume there's a lot of males raping women, fighting, creating social unrest and so on, and it becomes a social problem then that would be a reason to restrict people's freedom. But liberty is extremely important. It should only be restricted to the degree that's necessary to deal with the harm or the injustice. So we should try to preserve as much freedom as possible. So how could we do this in sex selection? Well, in at least two ways. First of all, you could only allow sex selection in favour of females. Or, and this is much more common, in the West, there's a practice called family balancing. So you allow sex selection for the second or third child to select a sex that's opposite to the sexes that are already present in the family. So, for example, you have two males and then you choose to have a female, or you've had three girls and you choose to have a boy. In this way, you wouldn't disturb the sex ratio at all. 90% of couples who want sex selection in the UK and the US wanted for this family balancing reason and there's no reason to believe that that would have any adverse social effect and it doesn't express any sexist preference. Boys and girls are different. The first thing that people ask when a baby is born is what sex is it and some couples want to have a mixture of sexes in their family. So there's no good reason for the state to make some decision that this ought to be prohibited. People ought to have the freedom to make those sorts of choices and use technology to realise them. Perhaps there is something morally wrong with sex selection in itself because it's projecting your own views about what your child should be onto that child and somehow constraining their freedom then. You're saying, I want my child to be a boy, I want my child to be a girl. Well, that's overstepping the mark as a parent, isn't it? This objection is sometimes called instrumentalising the child, using the child 
as a means to satisfying some desire. So you want to have a child who is going to be a famous basketballer or you want to have a child to take over the family business. So you want to use the child of a certain sex in a certain way. And this is sometimes said to be a violation of the famous German philosopher Immanuel Kant's dictum or famous principle that you should always treat people, persons, human beings, as an end in themselves and never as a means. People say that sex selection is an example of a violation of this Kantian dictum. In my view, this is incorrect, at least in many cases. What Kant actually said is never use people solely or exclusively as a means. Now, provided that you bring up a child with love, with affection, with opportunity, with education, allowing the child to make choices for himself or herself, having an initial motivation or hope is not in itself using the child purely as a means. So for example, I might hope that my child will take over my business and I might even give the child plenty of opportunities, but provided that I allow the child an ordinary upbringing with the opportunity to make other choices and have other careers, that's not a kind of an immoral reason or hope or desire. Of course, if I had a child, a girl, purely to be a sex slave in the sex market, that would be using a child exclusively as a means and clearly immoral. So it depends not on what desires and hopes and expectations people have. It depends on how they are as parents and how they bring up the child and the opportunities they provide. And sex selection doesn't preclude you being a good parent. One of the important values in liberal Western society is equality, sexual equality. And isn't there a danger that when sex is something which parents can manipulate, you can pass on the prejudices of particular groups and somehow socially undermine policies which are moving towards greater equality between men and women, say, in the workplace? Yes, there's a danger that you can perpetuate and exaggerate sexism by allowing people to use sex selection. There's no doubt that that's a risk. The question is, is the best way to deal with that by banning sex selection? And I'll give you a parallel. You can test and screen for disabilities such as Down syndrome. And selecting against Down syndrome means that fewer people are born with Down syndrome. There's fewer resources available for people with Down syndrome and perhaps discriminatory attitudes against disability are increased. But the appropriate response to that is to provide more resources for people with Down syndrome, to better educate people, to change their prejudices. It's not to say, well, we should stop screening for Down syndrome. You need to treat the disease and not purely the symptom. And in the case of sex selection, we ought to tackle sexism by changing our workplace practices, by changing our social and legal institutions, and not by banning sex selection. What about the religious argument that sex selection is a way of playing God? There are several responses to the playing God objection. The first and most obvious response is that we've been playing God ever since we developed technology and changed the world around us. So, for example, the same arguments about playing God were used to not give women chloroform in labour to prevent the pain of labour. They were also used to stop giving children vaccination because disease was God's punishment for wickedness and sin. 
Now, most people today are happy to use pain relief in labour and vaccination and antibiotics and cancer treatments and all of those things which change the natural or God-given course. The second argument is that this only really applies if you believe in a God. Many people believe in many gods or different gods and no God. So I don't think, again, this argument should be used to impose the religious or ethical beliefs of one group on another. And the last point I think is the most important. I accept that children are in a sense a gift. If your child is horribly run over in an accident and left disabled, part of being a parent is to give that child the best possible life, to accept things as they've happened and to try to make the best of the situation. So in a sense, we have to accept fate, we have to accept uncertainty, we have to accept that bad things happen. But that doesn't mean that we can't make choices prior to our children being born. When you choose to use IVF or you choose sex selection or you choose natural reproduction, you have a child and it doesn't matter to that child how they came into existence. From that point on, you need to treat the child as a gift. But prior to that, why not make choices that realise the sorts of goals that you have and the sort of plans that you have for your family and your life. Surely choosing the sex of your child is a kind of eugenics and we know from Nazism how dangerous that slippery slope can be when you start controlling what kind of people there are. Yes, some people see this as a slippery slope to creating designer babies and slide all the way back to Nazi eugenics of creating a master race of blonde-haired, blue-eyed children, possibly males. In fact, I think precisely the opposite is the case. What was wrong with Nazi eugenics is it imposed an idea of how people should reproduce and forced them against their will to have certain kinds of children in a certain way that the state judged was right. That's precisely what happens today. The state says you can and can't do this with respect to how you have children or what kind of children to have. The appropriate response to Nazi eugenics is to have a very firm adherence to freedom, to procreative freedom or liberty, to allow parents to decide about whether to have a disabled child or not, whether to have a child and what sex of child to have. Once you start to restrict that liberty, you're doing exactly what the Nazis did. So in fact, if anything, we live more in a Nazi kind of state today than we think. And I think one of the challenges of practical ethics is to think a little bit more deeply about what are good justifications for restricting liberty or constraining certain practices. And I think sex selection in the West, it's often seen as a sort of luxury issue, but really it's a test of our moral maturity. It's a test of our understanding of ethical principles of when to restrict something and when to give people freedom. So I think it's a very important debate to be had, even though you might think it's rather trivial whether a couple in Britain decide to have a boy or girl deliberately. It's a real test of our ethical maturity. Julian Savalescu, thank you very much. My pleasure, Nigel. Thanks a lot. For more Practical Ethics Bites, go to www.practicalethics.ox.ac.uk. Thank you.